How is everybody doing this morning? Are you nervous about this subtropical storm? No. They had to create ways to make us concerned. I actually, I actually found myself, um, found myself watching the Weather Channel to listen to the guy to explain why they call it subtropical storm instead of tropical storm. And I thought you guys are a bunch of idiots. Anyway, I'm excited to be able to preach, teach with you guys, and share with you this morning. Um, it's it's been a while. I, want, I mean, at one time I was teaching just about every Sunday for the most part, and I will say there is it's beneficial to be able to take a step back for a little bit, and then where you can be able to to be able to preach and teach. And this is going to be beneficial for Brother Justin. And the whole purpose, and I told him this, that, you know, I don't want you to ever teach and be wondering if I'm sitting there thinking, man, when is Brother Justin going to let me preach? You know, when is Brother Justin going to let me teach? When is it, when, when is it going to be my turn? I said, my, my heart is to be a help to you and to be a help to you and then also be a help to, when I say to you, not just to him, but to the whole entire church. I said, but, I said, I can't help it. There's somebody in the audience that says, man, when is, well, I'd like to hear Brother, Bre- Brother Ben preach or teach. But you have the beauty of having teachers and preachers here without egos for the most part. Now, we all have somewhat of an ego, but we're not, we're not challenging each other. Me and Justin are completely different on the spectrum as far as our testimonies, our backgrounds, and even our styles of teaching and preaching. And as you learned last week, Buddy is, he's somewhere off the chain, uh, somewhere else. But I did tell him this, I said, of all the messages I've heard you preach last Sunday was probably by far the best, that uh, he was very comfortable, very good, and I've had, I have the privilege of, of, you know, not just hearing him preach on a Sunday, but having friendship with him, and we can share a lot of what the Lord's doing in our hearts, and we try to take Sundays and be able to rehash some of this stuff to you guys as well. And I was looking over my notes of what I'm going to talk about, and if you got your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You know, I, I remember going to church on Sundays, and I know m- many of us here, we have church backgrounds, some have been going for many years. Some are different backgrounds, and uh, but for the most part, I remember going to church often and, and preparing myself to endure messages. You understand what I mean? To endure it, you know what I mean? It, it, it was like it was like the preacher's job to to make you feel bad. You know what I mean? I got to find something that's going on and, and, and try to poke at it. Or the common terminology, we say step on your toes uh, or rip your face off. I've literally, people referred to preaching as that. And as I was looking through my notes, I was thinking, you know, truth is something you soak up. You know what I mean? You ought to leave here floating on a spiritual cloud almost of just like, man, I'm so loved. I just can't believe it. You know, the gospel's meant to be good news. And when people bring good news to you, you almost look at them and say, are you serious? Are, are, what? No way. Are you, are, you, are you serious? I mean, good news is kind of hard to receive. I don't know about you, but as I continue understanding the gospel and how it applies to me and how I'm a son and he's a father and, and how our relationship is because of what Jesus was able to accomplish for us, 
I still sit back and say, man, this is just too good to be true. The gospel is just that, good news. It's not a warning. Man, we got to warn people. Warn people. No, we got to inform people of what, of what Jesus was able to accomplish. So last time I preached, it was my testimony, but I'm going to talk about Jesus' testimony this morning and what he was able to do. It's a little bit more exciting. No gorillas involved that I know of. Let's hear Gorilla Love. I was like, you know, I was just joking, actually, when Andrew called me and said, hey, what do you want me to title this? And I was like, I, I, initially, I was going to say, well, teachings from my testimony. I said, but I'd just call it Gorilla Love. And he did. I was like, man. I said, I learned. You better watch what you tell Brother Andrew. But anyway, 2 Corinthians. And we're going to read verses 1 through 4. And... Because I'm used to the King James, I've read the King James, I've memorized the King James. Every now and then, I'll even pray in King James English because it makes me feel more religious. Amen. But anyway, but that's, that's the version I'm, I'm in here. But I'm not exclusively just King James by no means, but that's where most of my notes are in. But he says this. I like what Paul says here. He says, Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly. I indeed bear with me. He says, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you one husband, and I may present to you chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent, now notice this terminology he says here. He says, he says as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, so your minds should be corrupted by the what? Simplicity. That's what the King James says. By the simplicity that is in Christ. He says, For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom you've not preached, or if you receive another spirit, which you've not received, or another gospel, which you've not accepted, you might well bear with him. And let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, we thank you so much that we can call you dad. You're our daddy. I know that you're holy. I know that you're the awesome creator, but you're also just as much my father, my daddy. And I can't begin to thank you so much for allowing me that privilege to be your son. And Father, so many that have been hurt by not having the proper father relationship that you're trying to so desperately fill that void in that gap. Lord, may we as individuals, may we as a church, may we as a nation, or may we as a body be able to look at you and with our whole hearts say, thank you, Daddy, for being an awesome God. And Lord, I can't help but look at the, Paul told the Corinthians here as a little part of understanding this truth. It's just a little part of us being able to understand the importance of knowing who we are in Christ and what you've been able to do. And Lord, we thank you so much for your wonderful love. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let me say this. Paul expressed his partiality to the Corinthians to them by saying that he was jealous over them with a godly jealousy. Paul's fear for the believers of Corinth was someone was going to try and corrupt their thinking regarding the simplicity that they were experiencing in Christ. That's, that's what his fear was. 
And I can't help but think now as I as I look at the body, the body of Christ and church and, and ministry and, and even so much of my experience, you know, Jesus made things simple, made it very simple. But church makes it very complicated, doesn't it? And I find it very interesting that, that Paul was dealing with this very same thing in his time. And he come and, 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 and he preached and people got saved and they're beginning to understand their identity in Christ. And he says now, he says, listen, he says, I'm, I'm here, but I'm going to be leaving. He says, but I want you to understand, I want you to be very careful that there's going to be some that are going to come with subtlety and they're going to try to corrupt what you're experiencing in Jesus. Now, let me say this. Paul also referenced the garden and compared the serpent's subtle corruption as the same thing that others will try to do today to remove us from the simplicity in Christ. So we're going we're gonna to look back in the garden too and see that what Paul was, and when Paul was going to use something to, uh, as a point of reference for them to be able to look back on and say, uh, I want you to be careful of this. He says, you remember the serpent You remember what the serpent did back in the garden? I want you to remember that because you're going to see that come up again in your own Christian experience. And may I say this? I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it in my own life. And I've seen it happen in many other people's lives. And right now the Lord has allowed me an open door to work with many of just banged up, beat up believers that some that that like Satan, like the serpent, has come in and corrupted the simplicity that they had they found in Christ. You know, it's it's. I remember, you know, when I was in when I was associate pastor, I was in charge of evangelism for the most part. We did a big campaign every year, and our goal was to knock every door within a ten mile radius of the church. In one year, that was our goal. So, man, I had charts, and Nick remembers. He he works. He he actually helped me make these maps, and I mean aerial views. I mean, we you know you weren't getting you weren't getting away. Some of you probably remember me knocking on your door, or at least looking to the people and saying, "Go away," you know what I mean. And so much, so much energy and effort. You know, we would go to to. Not, I mean, in my mind, I was bringing people the gospel, and I was. But for the most part, I was trying to get people to say a prayer, for the most part. Now, the Holy Spirit, throughout this whole process, I learned a lot and learned the Holy Spirit in a lot of situations with this. But I remember, you know, we would see somebody saved. And man, and I, and I realized very quickly that they, I, didn't, I didn't win them to the Lord. Now, I won, me personally, I won a lot of people to the Lord. But there was times I knew the Holy Spirit did the work. Because I'd knock on the door and they were like, where you been? And I'm like, uh, 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 you know, I've been sitting here wondering if somebody was going to come talk to me about Jesus. And here you are. And I'm like, well, here I am. And let me tell you about Jesus. And they'd get saved. And they would get excited. And then we'd say, I'd, I'd take him to the process. And I'd say, now that you know that Jesus has done something for you, shouldn't you be willing to do something for him? What a loaded question. Yeah, I guess so. I never thought about that. You mean, what, what should I do next? Well, man, you need to come to church. And you need to walk an aisle. And you need to come to an old-fashioned altar. 
Because that's what we had. You know what I mean? Is this an old-fashioned altar? I don't. I can never tell the difference. But anyway, an old-fashioned altar. And some of my fundamentalism is, is peeking through. So some of you are like, I don't know what he's talking about. Some of you don't know exactly what I'm talking about. But anyway, come down to an altar, make a profession of faith, and we would get them on the cycle. And, 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 and all that to say this, before they could even begin to enjoy Jesus... We start corrupting the simplicity that they found in Christ. We made salvation so simple. So simple, all you had to do was just ask. And he says, I'll forgive you of all your sin. All my sin, all your, I mean all of, I mean all of your sins. But you don't understand. I smoke cigarettes. Well, it's not about your smoking. It's about Jesus. Well, you don't understand. I, I, I drank alcohol and I used to be a, a big alcoholic. It's not about alcohol. It's about what? About Jesus. Well, you know, I just got out of prison. And I've done some bad things. They said, look, it's not about your track record. It's about his track record. Man, we marketed Jesus and we made him so simple. Then they come to church. (laughs) And we say, you know what? It's not that simple. We got to clean you up. That's, remember that, buddy? Look, I don't know about you, but you can't even come to a work day dressed like that. You see what I mean? Before they could even enjoy the very grace of God, before they even learned it, we get them on that treadmill of step by step by step by step. But I find it also very interesting that Paul goes back to the garden and reminds them of this. And one thing that I've learned, when it comes to understanding Scripture, one just a, 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 a tremendous help for me was to realize several things. Number one, like Paul says in Romans 14, he says, all scripture is given, or not, not, not all scripture, all, all, all scripture is for us. It's written for us to, to look at it and learn from it, but not all scripture is written to us. You see what I mean? As individuals, very important to understand. And then the second thing is that the Bible is a commentary of itself. And that it used to be, well, if you're going to start reading the Bible, where should we normally start? Well, start in Genesis, right? Amen. Start in Genesis, work your way through. Might as well start at the beginning. False. If you're going to understand the Bible, you need to get into the New Testament. Because the New Testament will, is the lens that helps you interpret and understand the Old Covenant. Helps you understand it. And, and for so long, so much confusion comes because understanding the new covenant and the New Testament is that very lens. It's like, it's like Jesus glasses. I have to wear glasses. I can't even hardly see anything without glasses. But man, when you put your Jesus glasses on, you look in Scripture, man, it just comes to life. And you're like, man, I didn't, I didn't realize this. Why? Because you didn't have your Jesus glasses on. You, weren't, weren't, you, you didn't see it there because it, it, all Scripture is written for us, but it's not all written to us. And the Bible, the New Testament is there to help us understand the Old Testament. And that's kind of what we're going to see here. Paul made a reference in the garden that we're going to look back and we're going to see what he was talking about and how it applies today. But as we look in the garden through the New Covenant lens, we can see... It come to life with new meaning. So go ahead and go to Genesis. Uh, go ahead and turn to Genesis. I got several verses we're going to look at. First verse we're going to look at is Genesis one twenty six. 
And as you, th- as you think about 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and Paul's dialogue to them, I want you to, I want you to keep that in mind as we're, as we're looking at Genesis and as we're looking at Genesis chapter 3 and as we're seeing the dialogue between the serpent and see, and what you're going to find, I don't know about you, but with me, I find some very common themes and conversations that have been told to me personally about me individually, about my relationship with God, about uh, things that, that tried to mold me at the very beginning of my, my Christianity. But thank God, by the grace of God, I'm able to break free from that. And I'm hoping to be able to help others as well. First thing is this. In the beginning, man was created godly. Think about this. In the beginning, man was created godly. Look at Genesis 1.26. And God said, he says, let us make man in our image after our what? Likeness. And let them have dominion over fish of the sea. Boom. That's why we fish, ladies, right there. (laughs) Right, Brother Brock? He knows what I'm talking about. And over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over all the creeping things that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his image, and in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So in the very beginning, he didn't make man God, but when he created man, he created him like God. He was already godly. He was already godlike. That's what that means. Uh, Let me go on here. Godliness, or let me say this, just as God-likeness was a part of how they were created, godliness is a part of how we're recreated. Adam and Eve were created godly, and when we're recreated in Christ, guess what? We're recreated what? Godly, you see. And that's very important to understand. It's part of our identity. Godliness was not something Adam and Eve were trying to become in the garden, but was already a part of their God-given DNA. What were they doing? See me, God? Look, I'm tending the garden, God. Look, I'm naming the animals. You got any more names, Eve? I'm going to slap out. I don't know what to call this thing. They were just enjoying God's creation. Godly. Not even realizing they were being godly. Why? Because they were just being, Adam was being Adam and Eve was being Eve. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this. You don't have to turn there. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. He's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things, all things, all things are become new. All things. All things have become new. Galatians 6.15, I love this. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, or talking about law, he says, circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but the new creature, the new creation. You've been recreated godly. Ephesians 2.10, love this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You know what that word workmanship means? It means like poem. That we are his his masterpiece. Even if you go back in the garden, for example, when God created, back in creation, I mean, God said, 
And it was so. God said, let there be light. And God says, let there be, you know, a firmament. And let there be fish in the sea. And let there be animals. And let there be plants. And he says, now hold on a second here. Hold on. He says, let me make man. And he reached down and he took the dust from the ground and he, and, and, he, and, he, and he formed it in his hand and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Do you realize we're the only part of creation that God formed with his own hand? Because we're his masterpiece. We're his masterpiece. And here he says, you have been recreated his workmanship, his poem, unto good works. Workmanship, uh, our works do not create or establish our righteousness. God did when uh, we are his masterpiece. I believe what would help, I think one of the main issues right now with theology, for example, is, is a huge misconception on righteousness. Righteousness. If we can understand that righteousness came to us as a gift, that's who we are. We are created. Adam was created righteous and godly, and guess what? We're recreated righteous and godly. And we can understand that, that righteousness is something that's already in, and we're working it out. That's why when your behavior doesn't match up, you're the first one to know about you. You know, I'll put a plug in for Wednesdays. You guys ought to come on Wednesdays. We, we have a lot of really good discussions. I was, you know, these past couple Wednesdays, I was taken back. And my wife's teaching, my, I was, my wife's teaching kids church, so I can say this. But I was taken back at how many times my wife quoted me on things that I said. <laughs> I was like, man, she does listen to what I say. <laughs> I was like, man, you know, but anyhow, I was, I was, you know, for a minute, I was haughty, amen, proud. <laughs> it's like, man, she's quoting a lot of things that I said. But anyway, but righteousness and holiness is a part of how we're recreated. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Turn there real quick. We're getting there, though. We're going to get to what the great lie, the serpent, what he did, and how that lie is still trying to be sold. But I want you to, I still want to establish this truth of in the beginning, man was created godly. That was, that's how man was created, and we're recreated that. And that godliness and righteousness is a gift that we receive because of salvation. But look at Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll look at verses 22 through 24. He says that you put off concerning that former conversation, the old man, the former conversation of the old man. Now, we're not putting off the old man because the old man was crucified. How do we know that? We find that in Romans chapter 6, knowing this, that the old man is crucified. He's dead. Ain't no white dog and black dog fighting each other and which one you decide to feed the most. Black dog was run over by the cross. He's dead, gone. <laughs> but what still remains is that old conversation that we're familiar with, which is flesh, fleshly patterns. Every one of us have them, like a DNA. 
You know what they are. And when they come out, you know, man, you know what? I, I, that's, that's not me. That's why I'm having a problem with it. But he says, putting off the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed, now notice this, in the spirit of your what? Mind. Mind. This is where the battle is, right here. Not, not a new spirit or even more spirit. It's right here we're having a hard time with. Believing it. Are you serious? No way. Yes, mind, mind, in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was after God, created in righteousness and what? True holiness. Now, why say true holiness? Because true holiness is not a product of your behavior. True holiness is a product of what God made you. That's what true holiness is. That's what it is. Now, righteousness and true holiness is not a product of behavior, but a product of birth. We allow our identity to be reflected through righteousness and holy behavior. But at the end of the day, righteousness and holy behavior comes out of what you already are, righteous and holy. Adam and Eve were living in the garden, not seeking out righteous, righteousness or holy lifestyles. Think about this. This will blow your mind. They were naked, and it was okay. <laughs> naked, and it was fine. Now, think about this. I can't tell you how many times I lived with condemnation and fear and guilt because I felt like me and God had unfinished business. Think about it. You ever felt that way? We got to come do business at the altar. Come down here and do some business with God at the altar. His secretary's right over here. <laughs> Get paid up. Confession. That, that, like there's something between you and God that's not been dealt with. But the reality is, listen, ladies and gentlemen, we're naked and God's fine with it. Everything we are is stripped bare. There's nothing hid God says, I want all of you. You're naked, and it's fine. Can I say naked one more time? <laughs> there we go. There was nothing they were ashamed of that needed to be covered. Bottom line, nothing that they were ashamed of. I believe Paul's fear for the Corinthian believers was someone would try to corrupt what they had tried to convince, what he was trying to convince them of regarding their completeness in Christ. That's what, that's what he was fearing, and he knew it was coming. But then that's when we see the great lie. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3. Let's go there and look at that dialogue. Yep, you can see that sign, that clock right there very well. Y'all got that for Buddy, right? You can't blame Buddy. The, the clock was broken, Somebody was almost guillotined with it a couple Sundays prior to that. And now we got, is that bolted down with lag bolts, stainless steel? No, it's just sitting there. Oh, man. <laughs> anyway, don't worry, folks. Our insurance is paid up. You're all good. <laughs> That's right, Gorilla Glue. Genesis chapter 3. 
You may have heard this before, I'm sure you have, but look, notice what he says here in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, You may eat of the, tr- uh, of the fruit of the trees of the garden. She says, But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now we know that God said you shouldn't eat it. My personal opinion is, Adam, when he was explaining this to Eve... He said, look, don't eat. Matter of fact, don't even touch that fruit. You'll just drop dead just to be safe. You know what I mean? Cover his bases. But anyway, let me just go on here. He says in verse 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, Paul was referencing this dialogue in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And he feared that what happened to Eve would happen to us in regard to the deception and the corruption of the mind. Now, the question remains, what lie did Eve believe that we can, that, that we can make the mistake of believing now? What was that lie? Was it a lie just about the fruit? Was it a lie about death? I mean, she did eat, and she didn't die immediately. Matter of fact, I have a hard time knowing if Eve even really knew a concept of death. But what was the lie? You look in verse 5, it's this. He says, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as what? God's. Or you will be godly. Or you will be godlike. Now, wait a minute. Hold on a second here. She was already godlike. Wasn't she? Because that's how dad made her. She had to believe the lie. She had to believe for a minute that she wasn't godlike. The lie was her believing she was not godlike. That she was wanting, that she was missing, that she was uh, a flawed, that she was without, that you will understand this better after you do this. You ever hear this before? People get saved, I lead them to the Lord and I bring them to church and I say, guess what, you're completely forgiven, you got relationship in God now. But you're flawed. We got to fix this. You've got some major things going on here. We're going to get these straightened out, and then God will love you more. You see, we're here with the gospel to let people know. Listen, God is God. God will recreate you perfect, and you're not wanting. And Christians walk around, and we get on this treadmill of religion. And by the way. For a while, I was gun-ho, hating religion. But I'll be honest with you. Religion is probably the best evangelizer for people understanding grace. Because that's the only thing bringing them to complete desperation. And by the way, that was the job of the law. Not to make you feel like you could do it, but to make you remind you you can't do it. 
So I'm like, do you want to know Jesus? You want to continue in him like he got saved? Oh, you want to keep, okay, well, go, go. Let me know. Let me know how that goes for you. Let me know how that works out. And then we, every day, man, we, we get told, we try to get told, you know what, you're lacking. You, you need more. You need more of this. You got to do this more. You got to do this more often. If we just had this, if we'd stop doing this, then, then God would. The reality is God has recreated us everything we need to be. And Eve had to believe for a moment she was not godlike. The serpent sold her on the idea that there was something she needed to be, something she needed more to be godlike instead of trusting that she was already like God. Have you ever bought into the do to be Christianity? You ever bought into that? If you'll do this, this much, this often, go here, this much. If you give, give this much, give this often. If you'll sacrifice this much, this often. What I found when it comes to giving, that I don't look at giving as sacrifice. I look at giving as an opportunity to do what I know the Lord's doing in my heart. But I was told for one time that God's will, you'll know it's God's will. You know why? The hallmark reason? Because you don't want to do it. You know what I mean? You don't want to do it. That's how you know it's God's will. It's crazy. Has your righteousness, holiness, and sanctification been a product of the no tree or the life tree? Think about this. Two trees in the garden. The two trees in the garden are symbolic to the two sources in which we try to find life. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now think about that. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. As we, we, we take scripture, what teaches us right from wrong? The law, right? Now we understand the Holy Spirit, but ultimately when it comes to morality, God instituted the law. You know what I mean? Thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do that. The law tree. Going to the law tree, trying to live from the law tree. And there's nothing wrong with law, but there is a problem when we try to find life from law. When we try to live from law. That was the problem. And who's to say Eve's desire was to do evil when she was eating that fruit? Think about that. It was a tree. Think about the tree. And here's, here's branches, two branches going up. And we have two fruits. And let's just say these fruit were labeled evil. And these fruits were labeled good, Right? Who's to say she wanted to do evil? She, that's what she was looking to she, I believe she just wanted to know. That's all she wanted to do. But at the end of the day, it's not about, you know, morality, right and wrong. It's about life. And life's only found in the life tree, which is Jesus. And we find that even today in church, we are major trumpeters of morality. But in reality, what the world is dying for is life. Wants life, not just another list of things I need to do and do better and do often. I need life. And we hear and we've been and we've experienced, and we've even said, man, this church is dead. I wonder why it is. It wasn't because there was corpse in, in, in the seats. It wasn't because there wasn't music playing. It wasn't because there was activity. It's because something inside says, you know what? This place is missing a source. 
And guess what, pure grace? We've got a source. We do. We need to stay plugged into that source. And we don't need to let somebody come in and corrupt us of the simplicity that we found in Christ Jesus. Now, let me say this. When we found a source and we've got life, we have growth. And in my experience with ministry, growth equals complication. Just go ask my wife. Growth means more kids. Growth means more teenagers. Growth means more families. And people ultimately mean more problems. But guess what? We're equipped to deal with those problems. We are equipped. And we're going to, and, and, but the, the bottom line is plugged into that source. And that leads us to the life tree. Who are we told in a new covenant is life? Jesus. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the what? My wife's quoted this several times, John 5, 39, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me, and you will not come to me that you might have life. Oh, we'll come to Jesus to try to find morality. We like the Sermon on the Mount. But you realize Jesus' reason for preaching the Sermon on the Mount was to make the, Jewish, the, the, the Jews there desperate because they, they, they thought they were doing good. They were like, good, yeah, go ahead, talk about law. He says, look, I tell you, you you've heard it said, thou shalt not, not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you lust upon a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart already. And they were like drinking a, what? <laughs> what is he talking about? That's not in there. He was telling, look, law never says enough. It was Moses 2.0, you know what I mean? It was taking it to a new level. Because they stumbled at the stumbling stone because they believed, as Paul said in the Romans, they believed that righteousness was achieved by the what? By the law. That's what they thought. But ultimately, the problem is not law, but us trying to live from the law. I got a few more verses. It's a little after 12. Let me just read a couple. I'll read them to you. I like Galatians 3.21. He says... Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given, I love this, which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. That's what Paul said. He says if law could have got the job done, there would have been no reason for Jesus to come. Or the author of Hebrews would have said, if there was a better way, if the first covenant could have done it, there would have been no reason for the second covenant to come in. Notice what Paul said to the Corinthians in, in 11.2. He says, for I am jealous over you with a, a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that, that I may present to you as a chaste virgin the Christ. Paul was saying he was extremely careful to make sure that they would be married to Christ and him alone by preaching the gospel free from law and free from works. He was concerned some would come and like the serpent get them to flirt with law once again. That's what he was worried about. And what we find today is this hybrid mixture of grace for salvation and law for living. And guess what? Paul says a little leaven leavens the what? 
the whole lump. Just a little bit of trying not to go to the source. Not to, and I'll be honest, I'll tell you, this is not easy, especially if you've grown up in church and you've grown up in this cycle because, you know, one of the biggest things, you know, I dealt with, but my wife dealt with this too, especially for those of you active people in church. This is for you guys. When you're busy doing everything and so much of what you need to do is a part of your identity and value, and there's nothing wrong with doing, don't get me wrong, but when that's stripped from you and you feel like your value just take a huge hit and you feel like, man, I'm worthless. I used to do this and I used to be in charge of this and I used to have this. I mean, I used to be the bus director and oversee the building projects. And, and you know, we actually had other assistant pastors too. I don't know what they did. <laughs> but we had all this stuff that I was doing and my wife's the same way. She's just a busy body. She just, she needs to be needed. And man, these first few years when we left was so tough on her. And she would bottle it all in. And about every six months, she would just regurgitate all of her anger and frustration at me. And I'd have to hold her and say, Hun, I just want to get you to a point where you can just enjoy Jesus for a little bit. And may get plugged into the source. I know it's tough. But you literally almost kind of go through withdrawals. It's, man, I got to do. I got to be, because this is what I'm using. I, my value, everything's tight. I got to, you know, I mean, man, don't get me wrong. We're going to need people. We're going to need doers to get involved with all sorts of things here. But, man, more than anybody doing anything is knowing you're plugged from that source. So that ministry you're producing is coming from a source, and you're not war slapped down to the nub afterwards. Just keeps flowing, you see. But Paul says, listen, in Romans 7, I'll, you don't have to turn there, but when he was talking about them being married to another, talking about them being remarried, he was talking about Jesus. He was literally talking about in Romans 7, notice he says this, he says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak unto them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband, so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead... Now, why does the husband have to die? You know what I mean? What is this, a Lifetime movie or something? Anyway, anyway, she's loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another, another man, she shall be called an adulteress. For if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Now, here's the whole point, verse 4, of what he's saying. Paul wasn't pausing. All right, let's talk about the morality of marriage real quick, and then we'll get into something else. No, this was the whole point of what he was saying. He says, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. That was his whole point. And man, we've, we were used to living from the law tree, trying to know, trying to gain, trying to do. And we're used to living from that law tree, and then we come to the life tree. And man, we start enjoying that life tree, and you come to Jesus, and you have that new relationship with Jesus, that grace, unconditional love. 
You know, law, you were used to law. You know how law was. You'd spend all day cleaning up the house, and you'd come home, and law would say, you missed a spot right there. Try this. Try this recipe. Does this taste good? Nah, need something. It's missing something. You know how law is. Us husbands, we're terrible. I'm the worst because I cook with my wife. You know, she'll cook me something. I'll try it. She says, maybe you should have done this, and then she just slaps me in the face. Bam. <laughs> but you know how law is. Law is abusive. Points out all your problems, but doesn't do anything to fix them. And you come to Jesus, and he says, man, I love you. I love you. Ain't nothing more you got to do. You know, you had me at hello, amen? <laughs> so that's all I got, ladies and gentlemen. I poured out everything I can give to you. But I guess that to, to leave you with something is that, and this doesn't have to be the title, amen, but, you, man, we're naked, and it's okay. You know what I mean? Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Thank you, Daddy, for being so awesome. And Father, I just hope we can leave here just feeling enriched because of your word. I hope I've said everything that I needed to say this morning. I'm glad I didn't have to say it in certain, a, a certain way, in a certain style, in a certain format. Lord, I can just speak from what's already flowing out of my heart. I just hope my mind was on tune of what it was you wanted me to bring this morning. And Father, I'm just so thankful to have a place where we have found that source. And my hope and prayer is that source can stay that. It can stay you. It can stay the life tree. And Lord, we can just allow that life to flow through us. And what an enjoyable time it's going to be just with each other. But Lord, what a wonderful healing time it's going to be for those that eventually find this. And Lord, our hope and pray that we can be truly a beacon of life and life givers for those that need it. I can think of half a dozen people right now that their Sunday did not go as well as this Sunday did for us. And it's because of the wonderful truths that we have of life in Christ. And thank you so much for your wonderful love in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right.